Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. As the choir and the band come down, uh, you may not know this, but I have been boycotting Major League Baseball since the strike of 1994. Uh, the players went on strike for more money. I read about how much money they were already getting. I figured they didn't need any more of mine. And hence, since 1994, I refuse to pay for a ticket to go to a Major League Baseball game. I will, however, go if you buy the ticket. <laughs> I mean, that, that just seems fair. Uh, I like baseball. I, I, I enjoy watching the game. And, uh, and so uh, a little while ago, the boys bought me a ticket, and the three of us went uh, to the Nats Park, and there we saw the Nationals play. And, um, it was a good game. I saw Fister pitch a uh, complete shutout game. Uh, the other team only got three hits. It was the same player, got all three hits. If only we had known, we would have beamed him in the first inning and had a no-hitter. But, uh, but anyway, I really enjoyed the game. I mean, I, I enjoyed watching the baseball game. And, and uh, uh, it, you know, if, if someone had asked me after the game, I would not only have said, I really enjoyed the game, I would have said, I enjoyed myself. What does that mean? I didn't get a hit. You know? Well, I did. The mustard dripped off the hot dog out of the shirt, but that's, that's an old guy thing. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, but I enjoyed myself. I enjoyed being there, and you know, the, the, I, I enjoyed the, the, the company with the guys and, and talking back and forth. I mean, we, we had a great time. Uh, watching this, this baseball game. We did all the things that you do at a baseball game. Baseball moves so fast that you have to watch it because, <laughs> you know, you might miss something. So, uh, you know, we got, a, got to talk, uh, you know, between pitches quite a bit. And, uh, you know, baseball is, is, is so engrossing that uh, you have to get up and walk around. And so we got up and walked around the stadium, David and I did, and, and uh, looked at it from different angles and watched an inning from somewhere else, you know. And, and, and had, had a great time. But I, I really enjoyed watching that baseball game. And I enjoyed myself. That's an odd thing to say, isn't it? I enjoyed myself. Paul says in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. That the fruit of the Spirit is enjoyment. That the fruit of the Spirit is enjoying yourself while you enjoy who Christ is, who God is, and has revealed himself to be in Christ Jesus. And so there's a great deal of joy that comes to us uh, because of our faith in Christ. There, there, there's joy in coming to Christ. I mean, there's joy in just knowing your sins are forgiven. 
and knowing that your life has been reclaimed. There is joy in knowing that your life, as, 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 as focused as it is on these little things of earth, yet has eternal significance in the vast glory of God's heaven. There is joy in knowing that the burden has been lifted and that we have assurance of life everlasting. There is joy in becoming a Christian. This is what happened, uh, sort of, uh, uh, we see that with the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus came and talked to her, and as they were talking, Jesus asked for a drink of water, and the, um, the, the conversation took several twists and turns, and uh, she couldn't divert his, his, uh, uh, him uh, theologically. She couldn't divert him, uh, you know, philosophically. She, she just wound up realizing that, that here was a man who knew everything she had ever done, and yet he loved her anyway. And so she goes running into the village. She says, come see this guy. And the village comes out. We have this scene of, of great rejoicing because salvation has come to this woman's life. Oh, we see it in the apostle Thomas, uh, who you remember after the resurrection, he was meeting, uh, he came late uh, with the other disciples. And the other, other disciples said, hey, look, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's risen. And Thomas says, guys, I love him too much to believe it. I mean, I, I've, I've got too much of my heart invested in who Jesus is. And I saw him die. And this, this thing that you're telling me, this resurrection, is too fantastic. I love him too much. I can't believe unless I see it for myself. And then a week later, as they were in the upper room, in the shuttered room, uh, Jesus appears to them. And he says, Thomas, look. Look at my hands. Put your hand in my side. <laughs> you know, Thomas doesn't even have to go that far. He just falls down in front of Jesus and he says, My Lord and my God. And salvation comes. That's the climax of the Gospel of John. My Lord and my God. Great joy that comes when you come to Christ. The man born lame who was at the steps leading up into the temple in Jerusalem. Not allowed to go in and worship God with others because he was lame. He was not fed. He was, he was broken. He was unclean. He couldn't go into this temple. And so all he could do, the closest he could get to worship, was to beg for money on the steps of the temple. And so as Peter and John are going in, he cries out, Alms, let, let me have something uh, to, to buy something to eat. And, and, and Peter stops and he looks at him and he says, Look, I don't have a dime. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up, walk. And the man caught up, and he started walking. You, know, you want to figure out how that happened? You know, he gets up in legs that had never walked before, began to walk, and then they began to run, and then they began to leap, and he went walking and leaping and running and praising God. The joy that comes when you come to Christ. There's great joy in knowing Jesus. There's great joy in knowing the nobility of who he is. This is one of the great joys of Bible study. You see Jesus on every page of Scripture. And you turn to the Gospels, and there you see a man who comes to us like someone we could never have imagined. Albert Schweitzer said he was the man who comes to us as one unknown. We can't figure this man out because the only possible explanation is that this is the Son of God. You see the nobility of Christ. You see the beauty of Christ. You see the wonder of standing in his presence. And there's just great joy that comes to you because of who Jesus is. You know, Christmas is coming. I know this. Christmas 
is coming because the stores started preparing for Christmas sometime in August. And uh, so I, I, I know that it's coming. And uh, uh, Christmas is, is a time of great joy. But oh, oh, the world has to gen up the joy. The world has to manufacture the joy. The world needs decorations and it needs, you know, uh, the bells and stars and candles. And, and the world needs to, to uh, you know, have you buy things and, and sell things and tries to create this aura of joy going on in the season. Puts on tear-jerker movies on the, on the family movie channel. You know, that, that kind of thing. You, you get in the holiday spirit in the season. Folks, if we wake up Christmas morning and there's not a tree, there's not a decoration, there's not a present under the tree, we wake up with joy because our Lord Jesus Christ has been born. There is joy because of who Jesus Christ is and joy because we know him. Thanksgiving Day comes and we'll see the bounty of the grace of God. But we don't need a holiday declared by Congress. Every day for us is Thanksgiving Day. There is joy because we know Jesus Christ. Oh, there's, no, there, there's joy in knowing the people of God. There's joy in the church. Do you have any understanding of what you do for me when you sing? A moment ago we were singing and you reminded me that the peace of God is like a glorious river that flows stronger, growing, deeper every day. You reminded me that when I'm held in the hollow of his hand, there is no foe who can follow me there, and there's no traitor to the cause who can stand in the hand of Jesus Christ. You told me that. And all the joy of Christian fellowship when we get together and we encourage one another and we share our testimonies with one another. There's a joy to be had in knowing the people of Christ. There's a joy in worship. You know, there's a joy in the music. Uh, you know, I, I, I just uh, am, am uh, amazed at how easily the music comes to us. You know, uh, we watch the choir and we don't think about the hours of practice. We hear uh, the musicians at the keyboards, and we don't think about the hours of practice. You know, think about if you ever took piano lessons and you had your recital. You remember what that was like? You ran up to the piano, you sat down, you played something, you tried to get through it, you sat down, you didn't know what you played, you were just glad it was over. <laughs> the anxiety's there in the day. I mean, this, this is what folks go through so that we can sing and that we can have worship through music and the band. Uh, just uh, astounding and the energy that they bring. Uh, if they could just get that guy who leads it. Um, <laughs> Now, hey, folks, I thank God for John's leadership. Amen. Oh, the joy. I, 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 point of personal privilege. There's a joy when you see your son leading God's people in worship, and you see your son standing in the choir, sing, leading God's people in worship, and your wife is up there. I just realized my whole family's up there leading God's people in worship. I don't know, but there's joy in that. <laughs> I mean, there's just a certain amount of joy in that. But there's joy in worship, coming before the throne of God and singing. You know, God has choir angels. These angels, when they sing, they're always on key. And not only that, they're good at it. You know, and they sing forever and their voices never get tired. But with a choir of angels to praise Him, God wants to hear us sing to Him. 
And someday we'll gather around the throne of God and we'll join hands and we'll sing a new song and we'll talk about and sing about how Jesus paid it all, how Jesus saved us, how Jesus brought us to the Father. We will sing the praises of God for all eternity. There is joy in worship through music. There's joy in walking with Jesus. There's joy in, in, in walking day by day and seeing the wonder of how grace works out. You know, in walking with Jesus and you see some barrier before you, but God has said, keep moving, keep walking, and you're walking towards that door, and there's that door, and it's, it's getting closer and closer. Of course, if, if it's this door, it keeps getting farther and farther, so that's okay. But, but you know, you, you're walking up to that door, and, and, and just when you get to that door and you know you're going to run into it, it flies open like an automatic door. It just flies open. And you walk through it praising God because that obstacle there was taken away and, was, and the door of opportunity was opened. There's such great joy in walking with Jesus. Oh, the joy of a husband who shares Christ with his wife. And together they lead their children to Christ. And they lead their children to know Jesus. And they watch their, their young ones grow in the grace of God in Christ. There is such joy in a Christian family that way. There is such joy, and I praise and I thank God for the joy that is ours because the fruit of the Spirit is joy. On the other hand, sometimes I don't get it. Sometimes I just don't get it. You know, life is like that. Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you're there this morning and you're just filled with the sadnesses and the griefs of life. I mean, there are times when in my head I know Jesus is Lord, the Father's on His throne, the Spirit's at work. And all I know in my life is that it hurts. And it hurts. And it hurts. And those are the moments when you, you want to share that with somebody, but you're afraid of religious people. You know, even, even in the body of Christ, you're afraid you go up to a brother in Christ and you'll say, you know, I'm hurting right now. I'm just wounded right now. And you're going to hear, well, buck up. Jesus is Lord. I knew that. Be happy. What do you have to be sad about? Jesus is on his throne and God is in his heaven. All's right with the world. I knew that. But I'm hurting right now. And, and it hurts badly. I don't know if they're true, but uh, people who put out statistics tell us that one out of every 10 adults in America will suffer from depression at some point in their life. One in 10. That means there's probably 15 to 20 people in this room this morning who are, have, or will suffer deep depression. And of that 10%, only 20% will get help. 80% will go through it alone. 80% will go through the oppressive darkness of depression alone. Sometimes I don't get it. You know, um, we don't do a real good job um, always with, uh, with sadness like this. I mean, and, and the reason for that is, is this, the fact that we miss the authentic gospel. The, the false gospel says, if, then God loves. If you are good, 
if you're spiritual, if you read your Bible and pray. All these things are great. But the false gospel says, if you do these things, then God will love you. If you're not feeling joy in your life, there must be something wrong with you. And we start to internalize that. What's wrong with me? You ever say that? What's wrong with me? Everybody else is happy. Now, that's not true. Only 90% of the people you know are happy, but the other 10 are depressed. But you know, what's wrong with me? Everybody else is doing so well. What am I doing wrong? That's what we'll say. What am I doing wrong? What can I do in order to experience joy? That, folks, is merit-based religion. That's works religion. That says that if I do this, if I obey the law, then God is obligated to pour joy into my life. That's religion. That's a false gospel. But it's been preached so often by people with plastic smiles on their face been preached so often it's the simplest kind of sermon to preach it's been preached so often as the kind of approach to the gospel that doesn't have to get down in the trenches and deal with some very difficult things that we're afraid to tell one another we're afraid to speak about it to one another fruit of the spirit is joy I should always have joy if I don't have joy there's something wrong with me here's the gospel that's not news. Something wrong with you. There's something wrong with everybody. That's why Jesus died for us. There's everything right with God. And he knows what he's doing. I don't get it sometimes, you know. Um, now, it's, it's true. One of the things that will rob joy out of your life is sin. That, that is true. When you sin against God, you, you sort of break that communication going on. As a believer in Jesus Christ, when, when we yield to the temptation, when we, when we walk down that path that we know is dishonoring to God, we're shutting ourselves off from, from, uh, from God's blessing and handiwork. Look, God is bigger than our sin. His grace greater than all our sin. But it's true that sin will cause the sadness. And, and, if, and if the Holy Spirit reveals that to you, then absolutely, you know, uh, then, then you've got something to deal with. But sometimes you can be sad and depressed, and it's not sin. It's not that you've done something wrong. It's not like God's mad at you. It's simply you're experiencing the human condition. You're just going through life the way that it is. You know, we're afraid to tell each other that because, you know, um, you know, what do you get when you say that? You know, I'm feeling depressed. Well, buck up. I had no idea. Is that all I had to do? Yeah. Feeling awfully depressed. Now, here's the difference between men and women. There's a lot of difference. Here's one of the differences between men. In general, you go up to a man and say, you know, I'm feeling real depressed. He'll fix your problem for you right then and there. Pull out his toolbox, get out his Allen wrench. By the way, did you bring that? Oh, anyway. But, uh, you know, he'll pull out the Allen wrench and he'll start making adjustments in your life. Well, you know, if you just do this, if you think that, if you read this book, if you just do this technique, then you're going to be fine. And a man will just fix your problem. You go up to a lady and you say, you know, I'm feeling really depressed. You'll say, oh, I'm sorry. It's the most soothing thing. The second time you go up to her and say, you know, I'm still feeling depressed, she'll say, what's wrong with you? And then she'll try to fix it. <laughs> but at least you get one shot at sympathy. But, but we're afraid to tell each other these things because all we keep getting are these, these simplistic answers. 
believe God and all will be well. Well, you believe God and all will be well eventually, but I'm right here and right now. It's not like there's a toggle switch where you turn it on, turn it off, and I just accidentally turned on the depression switch, and now I just need to find it and turn it off. It just isn't that easy. And so we, we, we're sort of hesitant to share that with each other. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, but sometimes I don't feel it. I think Peter gives us an insight to that. If you've got a text in front of you, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to start reading in verse 3 and read through 9 just very quickly. Um, uh, uh, this paragraph of Scripture was a, a sermon series almost. I, th- I think it was about three or four sermons uh, about a year ago. You all remember those, so I'll just review that for you. In 1 Peter 1, 3, uh, Peter's writing, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom uh, or which, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You can just see Peter, as this is being written, he's just sort of breaking out in song. He's breaking out in praise. This is authentic gospel. Blessed be God. His mercy has done all this. His abundant mercy. And we're, we're born again. We have hope again. By the way, one of the, one of the, the tragic things about depression is its hopelessness. You know, being sad and grieving is one thing. Being sad and grieving without hope that it will ever get better is quite another. And, and Peter here says, you know, blessed be the God and Father who he's caused us to be born again and to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You hear the authentic gospel? Here's what God has done. He has done it all. He has done it for you. Your place in heaven, secure for all eternity. You need not worry again. We have a, a living hope, an abiding hope, never to be taken away. This is the joy that is ours. Verse 5, it is reserved for us, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time oh what a hope we have oh what a joy that we have that when the last word of history is written the name will the word will be glory to God in Jesus name and that when that last chapter is written our names will come forth as names bearing testimony to the greatness the goodness and the grace of God oh that, that's what he's talking about here so you see you see the the joy going on here it's, it's not there in so many words yet uh, but but there's there's the joy of the authentic gospel and then uh, in, in, in verse 6 he says wherein ye rejoice no, 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 no. Ye greatly rejoice. You like the wise man. You see the star. They rejoice with exceedingly great joy. That's it. You rejoice greatly. Verse 6. And then right in the middle of verse 6. Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. It says you have this great joy. This wonderful joy. You're rejoicing. Even though for a season you have a great heaviness. Now the first line of, uh, of understanding there is persecution. Uh, you know, Peter's talking to folks who are facing persecution and, and they're, they're going through the, the trauma and the turmoil of losing their job, of, 
of, of being arrested, of losing their property, of families being broken up, of, of society sort of coming down on them. So there's that, that sort of that, that, that first level of, of, of interpretation, which is the, the persecution of the church. And so he says, you have this joy even though you're being persecuted. And, and that's, that's sort of the, the, the first line of, uh, of, of, of what he's talking about there. But I think we need to understand the word. It, it, in, in the King James it says, um, even though now for a season ye are in heaviness, <coughs> sorrow, and grieving. You're in a heaviness. Heaviness comes to the heart by grief and loss. I stood beside the casket of a man's wife. I said, Joe, how long had you been married? He said, 55 years. I said, Joe, you don't get over that. He said, Wayne, I don't want to get over it. I don't want to get over it. You love somebody that much, you don't just get over it. You love somebody that dearly, you don't just decide, well, let's see, I have worked through the grief process, stages one through five, I'm done. Your heart, a little bit of you died with her. And so that grief stays there. Yes, I, I know there's a heaven. I look forward to the day when I see mom and dad. I look forward to the day when with Debbie's folks we join hands together. Bob will be there. And we're going to sing about how God brought us through. But the grief never goes away. And you wouldn't want it to. You don't want it to, to distort things and pervert things, but it's real. And so in Him, in this gospel, we rejoice greatly, even though there's a heaviness of heart that still attends to us. I remind you about Job. You, you, you've read the, um, the letter Job, I, uh, or the book of Job. I've I read it uh, here and there. And I, I always heard about the patience of Job. I, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't see it. What I see is the integrity of Job. I see the honesty of Job. You know, even when he's talking about, you know, and, and by the way, just read that sometime, and you see his religious friends come up and they say, Job, you know why you're suffering, don't you? You are a sinner. Confess your sins and God will give you joy again. You know, oh, wow. That, that, that just sends Job, you know. But when he talks to God, he, he gets brutally honest with God. Here, here, here's what he said. In, in, this is Job 7, 11. I'll read it for you. Therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. This is a man who had lost his family. All of them. He had lost his home. He had lost his possessions. And then he lost his health. There was nothing but a thin, gray thread between him and death. And here's what he says. I will not refrain my mouth. I will, not, I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. He got honest about his grief. He said, this hurts, and it's real. The, uh, 
The first funeral I remember going to, I, was, I think I was about nine or ten years old, uh, but the, it was a funeral for a little boy, uh, just maybe a year or two older than I was. He was the pastor's son, and he had had a seizure and had fallen in the bathroom, hit his head, and he had died. And, of course, the church was absolutely packed because they loved their pastor. They loved this little boy, and they loved his mother. And what I remember about the funeral was all the hymns were triumphant hymns, you know, know, absolutely asserting the goodness of God and the grace of God and and just talking about the joy that is ours. And the theme of of the whole thing was, this little boy, he's dead. Don't cry for him. We're just crying for ourselves. That's selfish. We shouldn't be crying. We should be rejoicing because this little boy is now in heaven at the throne of God in the lap of Jesus. These are wonderful things, and they're all true. But here's the thing. I found out later on, my parents told me, within a few months, that mother, that poor mother, broke down with a nervous breakdown because she forgot to grieve honestly. And she didn't think she'd be allowed in the church to talk about her disappointments and her questions and her wonderings. And that grief just took a hold of her, and she she shattered. She broke apart because she denied the grief, the reality. Job says, it hurts, and I'm going to talk about it. God, this hurts, and I'm going to tell you about it. I don't want to hear answers. I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. I just want you to listen. You ever go to a funeral home and you say, I don't know what to say. Of course you don't know what to say. Nobody knows what to say. And so you say, what happened? It's amazing. Just say, what happened? If it was an accident, they'll tell you about it. If it was the death at the end of a long and fruitful life, they'll tell you about it. But people just need to talk and to put into words the grief that they're feeling. It makes it manageable for them. Just listen. Just listen. There's a sadness and a heaviness that comes to us because of grief and loss. But I mentioned depression a moment ago. And we don't do a good job with depression in the church. Now, this, this is one where we tell people, you know, just suck it up. You know, just do better. You know, and, and some of us have, have swallowed that, you know, especially men. You know, I'm not going to give in to that. Nothing wrong with me. Nope. I'm not about to break down in tears. That's uh, 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 something, got something in my eye. I tell you, I, I, I can count the number of times I cried on one hand before my depression. I thank God for tears. You know, the, the depression is just such a weight. You know, when, when, when Peter used the word that in King James, it's heaviness. That's what depression is. just weighs upon you. If, if you're going through it, have gone through it, or will go through it, you'll, you'll know what I mean. If you never go through it, congratulations. You'll know somebody who does. But, but, but depression is, is just a weight. It's like a physical weight that comes upon you. And it'll attack you at the oddest moment. You'll be going through your day and you think everything's pretty good. 
and you don't know why. Somebody will say something, they're not, not mean or anything, but, uh, or you'll see something or something happened that just triggers you and you just, you just spiral straight down. And it's like somebody took a blanket that weighed a thousand pounds and they just dropped it on your shoulders. And you physically start to act like there's a weight on you. I, one of the ways I knew I was depressed was uh, I, would, I, I would be driving the car and I'd pull into the parking spot and I would, I would stop and turn off the key and put it in park and do all the other things that, that are safe that I can't think of. But anyway, I got the car stabilized and then I'd open the door and I would turn sideways and I'd put both feet out the door, grab the top of the door and the side and pull myself out. And I realized... I shouldn't be doing that yet. Maybe when I'm 80 or 90, but not when I'm 40, 45. I shouldn't be doing that. I knew something was going on. Just saps you of the energy. We don't do a good job about it because we... I don't know. Maybe we're afraid of it. You know, somebody says, well, you know, I'm feeling depressed lately. What are you depressed for? You've got a great family. Wonderful children. Yeah, that's true. But I feel, ah, what, what do you got to be depressed about? You got, you got a good job. You got a good house. Everything's rolling for you. You shouldn't be depressed. Wow, now I'm depressed because I feel depressed. <laughs> Can't always control it that way. And so we ask, what's wrong with me? And that, there's many reasons for depression. Um, I'm not a psychiatrist. Uh, or a psychologist, so I can speak with authority. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there, there is a biochemical aspect to depression. It just happens to people. You know, and, that, and, and the person who's just going through the, uh, uh, the, um, uh, the biochemical imbalances of life, uh, you know, um, kicks in somewhere in the 40s. And, and, uh, and the, well, anyway... Um, you know, the biochemical imbalances, you know, and you go up to them and say, well, you shouldn't be depressed. Just be happy. Just know the joy of the Lord. That's like telling somebody with high blood pressure, just relax. It's your fault you have high blood pressure. Just relax. Oh, great. Now I have hypertension about my hypertension. Now, look, I think, I think most responsible medical people would tell you, use as little medication as possible and use it for as short a time as possible. But there are some instances where you get to a spot where you are just so deeply immersed and caught in the depression that you just need something to stabilize life to give you enough time to work your way up the first step, and then you can keep working up. Okay? So if you need it, judiciously, wisely, considerately, but there is a biochemical aspect to it. There are environmental factors to it. Uh, and it's not always just the things that happen today because, um, you know, everybody goes through the, these things. But, you know, when you're growing up as a kid and you're wiring your brain and your parents are messing around with you and you didn't know that, and, you know, I, I'm telling you, you spend 20 years of your life growing up and you spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what happened. So, you know, it's just, you know, problem therapy. That's two phases of life. That's all you get. You know, but these things happen, and, and you can't always control them, and it helps to talk them out and to understand them and that kind of thing. But when you're going through it, it hurts. It hurts. Now, the 10% the of you who, who are hurting, what I want to tell you 
is that the weight of depression that just is crushing the life out of you. Jesus has been there. On the cross, the weight, the weight of our sin and sadness crushed the life out of him. In those times when life is darkness, and that's all it is, it's just darkness, and, and you, you could light a thousand candles, you know, and, 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 and you would never, ever see the light because it is so dark. When Jesus died on the cross, the sun had the good sense to hide, and the whole land became dark. Jesus has been there. What I want to tell you is this. I don't know how long, and I don't know when or why, but I know you'll get through it, and you'll come out of it. Uh, that was one of the best things I heard. <laughs> uh, I was looking at a videotape. And <laughs> it was a pastor. He had a big church, but it was from Texas, so it was a little church comparatively. But anyway, um, you know, it only had 8,000 members. But, um, uh, but this, this was a pastor, very successful, and one day he found himself in the fetal position, curled up in the corner of his bedroom with the lights turned out. And he was, he was institutionalized for his depression. And he said the, 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 the one thing he remembers, he remembered a lot, but the one thing he wanted to say was the first session with the, with, with the counselor, the counselor looked at him and says, look, I don't know why, and I don't know uh, how long. I just know you're going to get better. Here's what the guy said. He said, and for four years, that's all I had to hang on to. I ran upstairs. I said, Debbie, good news. It's only going to last four years. She about killed me. <laughs> In Christian love. But you'll get through it. I talked about the hopelessness. That, that the hopelessness is what really does depression in. Because you think it'll never get better. I don't see any way up. I don't see any way out. There is hope in Jesus. Just hang on to him. Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, that, that Hebrew word for the, the, the shadow of death um, can also be translated deep darkness. I, I, I haven't found a better description of depression than that. But though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, and when you're in deep darkness, you know, it, death would be better. You start thinking those things. Shadow of death, but this is just deep darkness and it never ends. But though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Every day along the way, they comfort me. Oh. So, it will get better. Christ will bring you through it. Um, but I'm telling you, the folks who just say, well, you just need more faith. I wanted to smack them. In Christian love, with my Bible. <laughs> Can we give one another permission to talk about it? Can we give one another in Christian love permission to share about it? And to understand that wherever you are, someone's been there before. And God has always been faithful. He has always been faithful. I, w I don't want to tell you that depression is the kind of thing where, 
well, I'm going through depression, but someday I'll be cured. No, someday you'll be coping, right? So, someday you'll, you'll, you'll have a handle on what to do when the warning flags go up. I, I got this from, uh, uh, of all people, Barbara Bush. Anybody remember her? <laughs> Barbara Bush and her husband, George, <laughs> lost their little girl to leukemia. And Barbara went just spiraling down into depression. She was depressed for years. And she was talking to a, a, an interviewer about it. And the, and the guy said, uh, uh, well, are you ever afraid that, that you'll do that again? I, Barbara Bush looked at him and says, oh, no, I'll never go there again. I didn't understand that. I said, how, how do you know you're not going there? I got here and I didn't think I was going here either. I mean, it, it's a surprising thing when you wake up in depression. You never thought it would happen to you. How did she know she would never go there again? And on this side of it, I know why she'll never go there again. Because I'm not either. I'm not either. And it's not strength. It's not, you know, wow, I've, I've, I've mastered this. It's simply I, I recognize the signs. And by the grace of God, there's something I can do for it. Can we give each other permission to be encouragers. We don't have to be fixers. We can just walk with one another through that. Um, I grew up singing old songs. I, I, you know, this, uh, um, Like a River Glorious. Yeah, it's just a marvelous song for me. But, but here's another one. It's not in the hymnal anymore. Otherwise, we might have sung it this morning. But th this was my anthem for about four years. Sang it almost every day. Does Jesus care? Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress, and the way grows weary and long? Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades and deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong, when for my deep grief there is no relief, though my tears flow all night long? Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me, and my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks? Is it nothing? Is it aught? To him, does he see? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. And when the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. I know he cares. I've got about another 30 minutes. Back to Peter. Because I'm going to pull out the one last thing that I really think must be said on this. But Peter, we're back there in verse 6. It says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice. You know. By the way, the joy that is ours in Christ is not an emotion. Our joy in Christ is Christ. 
Our joy is not a feeling to be chased. Our joy is a savior to be loved. Our joy is not in a state of happiness that, that you, you, you try to, to rest from life, but our joy is a savior who comes to us in our deepest hour of need. So he says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ whom ye love having not seen ye love him in whom though now ye see him not ye believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory I have asked old saints, and by that I mean people older than I am, um, but I'm, I'm talking about people who, who have gone through life. They've, they've gone through the, the stages and the phases and so forth, and, and now that they're coming to the end of the life. The next big event on the calendar is, is their funeral. But, uh, but I've asked them, I said, did you ever have a time when it was so dark in your life you couldn't even see God? Strong believers, deep saints in Christ. Many of them will say, oh yes, I did. I went through a time when I couldn't see him, and I couldn't sense him. I couldn't hear him. It's like he wasn't even there. It's what San Juan de la Cruz called the dark night of the soul. And I said, did you come through it? They said, oh, yeah, we came through it, you know. I said, does it ever happen again? They said, well, I know the signs. I mean, it's, this is why I know this. It, it, other people bear testimony. But then I've asked them this. I said, now that you've come through it, you've come through the grief and the sorrow, you've come through the depression, do you love Jesus differently than you did when you went in? And they always say yes. Oh, yes. I love him more. I love him more. Before the darkness, I loved him because. I loved him because he saved me. I loved him because he blessed me. I loved him because he made my family healthy. I loved him because he, he gave me a, a spouse to, to you know, share my life with. I, I, I loved him because he blessed me financially. I loved him because, because, because. And life took away all the becauses. And there was nothing left. But Jesus and you love him anyway you love him not because of what he does you love him because of who he is and you love him in a deeper way a more profound way a way the world could never understand when you've walked through the valley and come out the other side the fruit of the Spirit is joy. We don't always see it, but the fruit of the Spirit is joy, not because we experience it, but because God gives it. And the joy is still ours, and it's still there, and it still comes because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. 
So this morning, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And uh, if you thought that was going to be a sermon about seven easy steps to know the joy of the Lord, uh, it's not going to happen. But if you want to know, how do I get from the darkness? Just walk with Jesus. Just keep going. And let's help each other, okay? Let's bow together in prayer. Father, life is a complete mystery to us and never more a mystery than in those moments when we see your grace. Father, there are folks here this morning who need, who need the encouragement of your Spirit. And so I ask that your Holy Spirit would come as the great comforter, would come as the one who soothes the heart, the one who comes and wraps us in your love, that person who's at the very depths. Father, I pray, give them just, just this moment, knowing your love, and bring them home, bring them up. Father, for those of us who stand beside, make us willing to wait upon you and to listen and to be just as loving and kind as you've been with us. Father, that you would be glorified and that the joy of our salvation would be more than a phrase, would surpass all feeling and be the reality of our lives. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing this in faith with me. Joy, unspeakable joy, an overflowing well, no tongue can tell. Joy.